0: Um, last week we talked about Second uh, Timothy chapter 3 verses 14 through17. and we talked about how all Scripture is breathed out by God. All Scripture is inspired by God, that He is the true author of Scripture. Yes, it was written by many men over many centuries, um, over thousands of years. And, and yet, his hand is in all of it. There is not one word in here that is said that he did not want it to be said. We have this passed down through the generations because it is ordained, blessed, inspired, breathed out by God. And we're in the midst of this mini-series of sermons. This isn't going to be like 13 weeks like Philippians when we went verse by verse through Philippians, but we're in this uh, three-sermon series of God's Word, looking at God's Word and looking at how um, it is inspired, how it is what God desires for us to have. And even though it was written to people many, many years ago, it is still completely applicable for us today. If we want to know how to live our lives If we want to know what is right and what is wrong, if we want to know the way to salvation, if we want to know the big answers to questions in life, then they're here. Now, every single one of our questions might not be answered because there might be some things that God says, no, I'm not going to give you that information yet. We might have to wait for eternity for some of these answers. But, um, But what we looked at last week is that it is inspired, that this is the word of God. And so we're going to continue to look at that this morning. If you will, before we get started, if you'll turn to Isaiah chapter 46, we're going to look at two verses here uh, before we uh, get into what I'm going to be doing this morning. And if you don't have your Bibles, then th- this is actually in the bulletin. Remember the former things of old. For I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning. And from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. The thing I want you to see here is that before the beginning of time, since, since creation, before creation, God had a plan. And what we see in Scripture is we get to look at it, and there's this arc, this timeline going throughout history... From creation until right after the apostles. We, we get to see this timeline of what's going on throughout history. And, and especially concerning the Israelites and then the, the beginning of the church after Jesus' ascension. And we get to see these things and it's incredible. And that's not, look, God didn't just start working at creation and he didn't stop working when we finish Revelation. God has continued to work, but he has given us his word for us to see what happened in these ancient days, to see how he worked back then, and he continues to work today. And so what I want us to do this morning, this isn't going to be a typical sermon where we uh, go verse by verse through a chapter or through uh, a few verses like we normally do. I'm going to be giving you a a biblical survey. What we're going to do is we're going to look and see how God was at work From the beginning. And technically, actually, before the beginning. Because we have plenty of verses. um, Before the mountains were formed. Before creation. Uh, There's a psalm that says that. Before the mountains were formed, he had this plan. He was working. You see, God didn't begin to exist when he created the earth. Uh, Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, what? What? God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God. He was already there. When we say in the beginning, we're thinking about our our beginning, right? The beginning of time. The beginning of creation. Our creation. God already existed. And I don't want to spend too much time on this because we have a lot to, to look at. Um, but we, a few weeks ago, we talked about how our minds can't handle things like this. We can't think about how something existed in in infinite infinity before creation God was. And he, he says to Abraham when, when Abraham asks sorry Abraham, Moses they're different people uh, he says to Moses when Moses when he asked Moses to go deliver the people from uh, Egypt and Moses was like well, who am I going to say sent me to deliver them? I'm nobody. And what did he say? Tell them who sent me. I am. Because God exists always. He always has. He always will. He exists. And so, before creation, he existed. Now, what was he doing? No clue. Maybe we'll get to ask him one day. What did that look like before creation? I have no idea. All I know is that before creation, God in the beginning, God. And when I say God, I don't just mean the Father. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In fact, we go to the New Testament, and John chapter 1, verse 1 says, In the beginning, doesn't say God created. It says, In the beginning was the Word. The Word being Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, at crea- after creation, um, God said, Let us... Make man in our image. Who's us? Us being the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Trinity. And so we see that in the beginning, God. And in, in these verses here in Isaiah, chapter 46, verses 9 and 10, we see that he was declaring the end from the beginning. And from ancient times, things not yet done. And so God knew the end from the beginning. He had a plan from the beginning. We can feel like sometimes that what's the purpose of this why do i exist we have these questions about purpose but the bible tells us god has a purpose and if god has a purpose and god is our creator and he has created us we we are breathing if you're in here and you're if you're not breathing let us know please because something might be wrong um But we're in here, and we're breathing. We are existing. And if God has a purpose, then, sorry. It's just, I can tell who has, like, a terrible sense of humor like me. Because y'all are the ones laughing at my terrible, terrible jokes. But anyway. Yeah, I'm looking at you guys. Um, But, in the beginning, God created. And, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We see that in the beginning... Things had, God already existed. Now, we don't know what he was doing beforehand. We know he was planning because he had a plan from the beginning. But we don't know what that looks like. We, I mean, I think that sometimes when I'm on a car ride, in a car ride, and Emma is uh, crying, she doesn't really do that anymore. But, you know, last year when she would cry the whole trip, sometimes an hour feels like An eternity. Right? Um, Then there are times when you're sick. How many of you have ever had like a stomach virus or something and you were just like, God, please, if you'll just let me survive this, I'll be the best Christian you've ever met. Okay? Because that 24 hours feels like an eternity. We have to realize that God existed for an eternity before creation even began. And time is something that doesn't limit God. He's not held by time. Time is a creation. It's part of creation. Time exists because there was a beginning. And there's going to be an end. Time exists for uh, finite beings. For people who are created. Not for the creator. Who's outside of it all. Who's not held and limited by uh, the laws of our nature. And so, uh, what we see after the, the creation... Uh, what we 're about to do is we 're about to look at how God was at work, how He was bringing this plan together and and i 'm um, going to pull out my phone so that I can make sure we 're not going because i 've got twenty five minutes here to be wrapped up so we 're going to summarize the entire Bible in twenty minutes or so you know no problem um, so he the creation occurs, and we start seeing things right from the get-go. We start seeing the fact that uh, God created this, and it was good. And he created that, and it was good. And as I said in Mo and Jill's wedding uh Friday, hey, you guys are married. Uh, <laughs> uh As I said in the wedding, it, God created man, and he saw that it was not good. It doesn't end there. Don't worry, guys. You can you stop sweating. It was not good. It's not good that man should be alone. So he created women. And as we all in here know, women are way better than men anyway. And sorry, I was raised by a single mom. That kind of stuff is just ingrained in me. But uh, he created man and woman and and then he gave them a purpose. And in the first 11 chapters of the Bible, we see these three big things that happen. In Genesis 1 through 11, which a lot of people look at as kind of like an introduction to the the Israel, the God's people, the Israelites. And In chapter 1 and 2, we we see uh, creation. In chapter 3, we see the fall, right? And, And the fall being God created man, but he gave man a choice whether to obey him or not. And Adam and Eve chose to sin. They chose to do what God had asked them not to do. They chose to disobey him. And they chose to try to take his place and be like him. Um, You know, when when Satan tempted them with the fruit, he said, how did he get them to eat it? He said, if you eat this, you will be like God. And so their sin was more than just disobedience. It was rebellion. It was them trying to take his place, trying to be like him. And so they sin, they fall, and immediately the consequences are explained. Because of sin, there are consequences. And immediately they see what those are. And we see all these things happening really quickly. And, and, and we see Adam and Eve having babies after they're kicked out of the garden. And if you want more information on that, just go back and read the first few chapters of Genesis. Uh, and, and we see the descendants of Adam and Eve. They begin to multiply. And we get to Genesis chapter 6. And God said that every thought of every man was evil continuously. Except for one man and his family that man being Noah. And so, because of the evil on earth, and God is a good God, even though he is also a loving God, he is a just God, he does what's right, and he judges the earth. And he uh, judged the earth through a flood. And we see that in Genesis starting starting in Genesis chapter 6 and working its own way on down the line. And uh, God shows mercy, just like he showed mercy to Adam and Eve by sparing their lives first, but also clothing them um, once they realized they were naked and things like that. He s- showed mercy by starting over with, with Noah and his family. And then we get to Genesis chapter 11. And there's the Tower of Babel. And in the Tower of Babel, we see where all these people come together. And they say, let us build for us ourselves a tower that reaches the heavens. And there's a problem because back in Genesis chapter one, God said that when let us make man in our image. The very next verse, He says, "Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth." And His desire was to have, to have a, a world full of people that know Him, that worship Him, who He can pour His love out on them. And and that you might sound well, that sounds kind of selfish. Well, if that's your definition of selfish, okay, but. It's selfish in the way that parents want to have children to be able to pour their love out on them, to be able to have a relationship with them. And I wouldn't say it's selfish for a person to want to have a child. Well, there might be selfish reasons, but the act in itself is not selfish. And so uh, God created them to multiply, to fill the earth. And then in Genesis chapter 11, we see these people and they're saying, uh, let us build for ourselves a tower, lest God disperse us over the face of the earth. The problem with that is is that God had told them to multiply and fill the earth. And so God comes down, and he confuses the languages, and he spreads them out. And then in Genesis chapter 12, we get to Abram. And for the rest of the Old Testament, we're going to be talking about Abram and his family. Abram being Abraham. um, His his name later became Abraham. And Father Abraham had many sons, that same guy. Uh, And so God came to Abram, and actually I'm just going to turn to Genesis chapter 12 real quick and and read the uh, first few verses of Genesis chapter 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. You see, God chose Abraham not just to bless Abraham alone. It's just That's just the beginning. God is going to bless Abraham, and Abraham is to bless others. And then, hopefully, the, the end result is people know God. Because God has chosen Abraham, he's a special man, becomes special family, special kingdom, nation. And he's going to use those people, starting with Abraham, not just to bless them, but for them to bless the world. That's the plan. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those, verse 3, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And so here we see God's desire for all peoples again. For multiply and fill the earth. At the Tower of Babel, they were disobeying that. He came down and sent them, dispersed them. And we see... That God's desire is for all people to know him. For him to know all people. For all people to know him. For there to be a relationship. And even despite our sin, God loves us and he wants that. And so he promises Abraham that through him, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now I know I'm skipping ahead a little bit. We'll come back here. But how were all the families of the earth going to be blessed through Abraham? Through one person? Jesus. Jesus. One of Abraham's descendants on down the road is Jesus. And so God's plan, as we read in Isaiah, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done. God's plan from the beginning, from before he created us, before we were even thought of by our parents and before our parents were even thought of and before this world was even thought of, except for by God. um, God had a plan. And his plan was he would create a world where there were free beings. Beings who, he he is sovereign and he has all power. But he chooses in his sovereignty to allow us to either follow him or not follow him. To either love him or not love him. And we have to do that, right? When we love someone, we have to let them choose to love us. When I met Rose, the first thing I said to her is, you're going to love me. Okay, maybe not. It, wasn't, it didn't quite work out that way. But you can't force someone to love you. Love has to be of someone's own volition. It has to be a choice. And so God has given us a choice, and he, he created us with a choice. But with that choice, we did bad things. We sinned. We still sin. The Bible tells us that we've all sinned. All have fallen short of the glory of God. And it tells us that the wages of those sins, the payment that we get for the sins that we have committed, is what? Death. Okay, so sin always leads to death. Sometimes that's physical death. Um, it's, it's always spiritual death if there's not forgiveness or remission of sins. There's always spiritual death. And there's death. Even while we're alive, death takes many forms, right? Sin will kill things around us. And, and so God knew that if he created us, that we would choose to sin and that bad things would happen. And so he had a plan from the beginning of how to remedy that, and that plan he's hinting to it with Moses sorry with Abraham different guy I flip flopped at that time uh, and so he tells Abraham that all the families of the earth would be blessed through him, and we know looking back that that how that would be accomplished is through jesus and so uh, Genesis chapter twelve Abraham uh Begins this relationship with God. And so we see these crazy things happening with Abraham. In, in chapter 15. God makes a covenant with Abraham. And he, he tells him. That he's going to have as many descendants. As there are stars in the sky. And Abraham says. Well God how am I going to do that. When I don't have one descendant. I don't have any children. And so even though Abraham was an old man. God said you will. I promise you. You're going to have children. And then he makes this covenant with him. And. We don't have time to go into the covenant. But basically, Abraham and his descendants were going to be God's special people. And God was going to use them. And so, there's a sign of the covenant. Uh, all these things we're seeing in the first 20 chapters of Genesis. And then we get to Gen- Genesis chapter 22. And Abraham's son, by this point, is born. His name is Isaac. And Abraham tells, uh, or God comes to Abraham and says, Abraham, I want you to take your son, your only son right? And I want you to sacrifice him to me. And many of you know this story. And the first time I read this, and well, the first few times I read this, I I was, I just, why would God even ask Abraham to do that? I just didn't get it. And God said, uh, I want you to take your son and, and sacrifice him at the place that I will show you. And so Abraham packs things up. And I have to believe that Abraham trusted God, that he knew that whatever God had in store It wasn't going to be his son's death, and it was going to be for his good. And he had learned by this point, the best thing is to trust God and to do what God says. And so uh, Abraham and Isaac, uh, they're going toward the mountain with some people helping them. And they get there, and Abraham and Isaac are going to go ahead by themselves to the place where the sacrifice is going to take place. And uh, Isaac says, "Uh, Dad, I see the wood and I see the fire. But where's the sacrifice? And Abraham says, God will provide for himself a sacrifice. And so they go there. And um, in Genesis 22, Isaac is put on, put on the altar. And Isaac is a young man. Uh, Abraham is an old man. I believe Isaac allowed his father to put him on the altar for reasons that I just stated. And he's on the altar. And Abraham grabs the knife to go through with this human sacrifice, which God has never, ever asked anyone to do. And all of a sudden, here it is. And Abraham is about to go through with this sacrifice. And an angel appears and says, Stop. Now, God knows that you have faith. God knows that you love him. God knows this was a test. You've passed the test. Good job. Um, But was the sacrifice over? No. God did provide for himself this ram that was over in the thickets. And there was a sacrifice. And we can look at that story and think, well, this is crazy. What is going on here at the beginning of Genesis? What what sense does this make? I'm glad God doesn't ask us to do stuff like this anymore. But you know what? God didn't make Abraham go through this crazy plan of uh, killing his son. But you know what God and Jesus' plan was in the Holy Spirit? For God to offer his son as a sacrifice. That realm was just something temporary. They would continue to sin and they would continue to need to make sacrifices to show that they had sinned and that something had to pay for the debt. But Jesus came and offered a sacrifice once and for all. And these are the type of things that we see. If you read God's word, if you read the Bible, are there some boring parts in the Bible? I'm a flawed human. I'm going to go ahead and admit, yes. For me, there are parts of the Bible when I have to push through. There are parts of the Bible where I'm reading it and I'm thinking, what do I need to know how long the robe was for? I mean, you know. It, and so I'm just going to be honest. In our weaknesses, and in our limited understanding, it, and I'll say our, I, let me say my Uh, there are times when I'm reading the Bible and I just have to get through it. I just have to push through. But then I'm always surprised as I'm pushing through how God uses things, how he uses his truth and his word to speak to me and to challenge me. And so, uh, this is the type of thing I'm about to summarize a lot. And so I just wanted to to really spend some time on, on the beginning here to show you how even from the beginning there was this plan. Even from the beginning, God began to work it out. Um, he, he wanted Adam and Eve to multiply and fill the earth. He He gave the same command, by the way, to Noah after the flood in his family. Multiply and fill the earth. The Tower of Babel, they were coming together lest they be dispersed over the face of the earth. And God wanted them to multiply and fill the earth. And he wanted to do that because he wanted a relationship with us. Revelation chapter 4 verse 11 says that God... Um, uh, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive all glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will, they exist and were created. And King James Version says, by your pleasure. God desired to create us, to have a relationship with us. Because not only did he want to pour his love out on us and have a relationship with us, but it was what was good for him to create man. And it's good for man to have a relationship with God. And God wanted that. And so it began. And so Abraham had a son uh, named Isaac. And Isaac had a son named Jacob. And Jacob had a son named Joseph. And Joseph ends up in captivity in Egypt. And you really got to read it to, to get all of it. It's great. Uh, this is all, I'm still in Genesis. Um, he ends up in captivity in, ex, in Egypt. And he becomes second in command of all of Egypt. Even though he was a slave and a prisoner at first. He ends up second in command of all of Egypt. And God uses Egypt to grow his people and to multiply his people. And then uh, uh, we get to Exodus and we see that a Pharaoh comes into power who did not know Joseph, who did not know uh, the relationship that Joseph had with the Egyptian people and, and the Israelites, the relationship that they had with the Egyptian people. And so the Israelites became slaves and the Egyptians started to treat the Israelites harshly. And so they began to cry out to God. And God heard their cries. And he raised up a man named Moses. And Moses delivered the people. Of course, it was God who delivered them through plagues and these other miracles. But uh, he used Moses to be the leader, to deliver the people out of Egypt. And so they, they, they leave Egypt. And then they have to wander in the desert because of their disobedience. And, if, and eventually, Moses dies. And who takes Moses' place, as Michael Pettit preached on a few weeks ago? Joshua. And, and Joshua becomes the leader, and they go into the promised land, and they begin to take the promised land. And after Joshua's life, uh, the people again disobey. And there's this pattern throughout Scripture. We're talking about patterns, and we see God's heart for the nations. We see his heart to, to have a relationship with all people. We see all these things, and one of the things that we see is the fact that uh, God's people always rebel. They always fall into sin, and then God allows something in their life to get their attention, usually an outside force, an outside people group coming in to oppress them. And th- then his people repent. And in- after they repent, they cry out for help and God sends help and revival comes and things are good. And then what happens? They fall into sin and the cycle begins again. And this is the cycle of the judges. God would raise up these military leaders to to deliver his people after they've repented. and And... He delivers them, and things are good, and, and it's judge after judge after judge after judge until the people finally say, hey, we don't want these judges anymore. We want a king. And, of course, they already had a king. His name was God, but they wanted a king. And so God gave them what they asked for, and they get, he gave them a king named Saul. And Saul was uh, not the best king. He was not the best leader, and and he did some pretty bad things, in fact. And so uh, the people cried out, and God gave them David. And even David, a man after God's own heart, even David, uh, he did great things, incredible things, but he even fell into sin. And we see this cycle over and over and over again. And we see the fact that the people cannot save themselves. They cannot keep the law. And they need something. They need something to rescue them. And, and to be honest, at this point, they're not blessing all the families of the earth. God told Abram, all the families of the earth shall be blessed to you. And at this point, the Israelites don't care about anybody but themselves. Time after time after time in the Old Testament. And before you get too hard on the Israelites, we fall into that same temptation today. Um, but we get to this fact that they can't pull themselves out. And if you look at the first five books of the Old Testament... And you will see that this is the time of Moses. There's the creation story. There's Noah. There's um, the Tower of Babel. But then you have Abraham all the way uh, through Moses, the first five books. Then you have Joshua, who we just talked about, followed Moses. Uh, Then you have the judges. But then it's not all in order. There are these historical books. Things are kind of not in chronological order. And and we, we see during the time of the king's. Uh, in First, Chron- First Kings, Second Kings, First Chronicles, Second Chronicles, books like that. Um, and, and we see these poetic books, these books of poetry like Psalms and Proverbs and Song of Songs or Song of Solomon, Ecclesiastes. We see these things. Then we see these major prophets and these minor prophets. That just means that they wrote a lot. Uh, the major, major means they, they wrote more than the minor prophets who wrote less. So right now you're thinking, well, you must be a major preacher because you won't stop talking. And so uh, just give me a moment. I will. And uh, so we see the major... (laughs) You guys crack me up. You're literally like the only ones laughing. But anyway, um, there are these major prophets and minor prophets. But it's all about the same time period. It's, It's all about these things that are happening before the exile and after the exile. The exile being God warned his people to repent. God warned his people to stop turning to false gods. God warned his people to stop taking advantage of the poor and neglecting the widows and the orphans. He warned his people over and over and over again, and they didn't listen. And so God brought in outside forces uh, to destroy Syria, Assyria first, and then, and then he, uh, sorry, the uh, northern kingdom, and then Judah and Jerusalem was left, and he, he brought in Babylon to destroy them, and we see that it's basically in ruins. But God promised that he wouldn't leave Israel in that shape. And so um, after a time of exile, uh, 70 years, according to Jeremiah 29, God let his people come back home. And they rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem. And things were going well until they weren't. (laughs) And we just see this. These great things happen. These incredible things happen. And the Bible is full of life, even in the Old Testament. But then we get to the New Testament. And we see that the reason the Israelites weren't able to pull themselves up by their bootstraps and just obey God is because it's impossible for us humans to obey God all the time. Because we were born into sin. We are affected by sin. The world around us is affected by sin. And we needed someone to save us from our sin. And that's where we see Jesus come into the picture. he he had been prophesied about that there would be a man who was born of a virgin this was prophesied about that there would be someone who by his stripes we would be healed In, in the old testament we see this lion of the tribe of judah this victorious king but we also see this suffering servant and and before christ came before jesus came people couldn't put it together And even when he was here, people couldn't put it together. His own disciples didn't understand what had to happen. But Jesus came and he died on the cross and he did that because he wanted to restore the relationship that was broken in the beginning. He wanted to restore the relationship that our sin had broken. And so he sent his son, Jesus. And Jesus came and he never sinned. And he he never did wrong. And so he didn't deserve death or punishment. And God gave his son, Jesus, part of the plan that we talked about in Isaiah 46 verses 9 and 10 and in other parts of the scripture, part of the plan was from the beginning that when in the the right time, and I don't exactly know why it was the right time. I have some theories, but it was the right time. And God sent his son to die for our sins, to pay the debt that we owe God so that the relationship could be restored. And now... Fast forwarding in the future, that was just the Old Testament and the New Testament. The New Testament tells us that we can have a relationship with God. That his spirit will come and live in us. If we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, then we will be saved. Not just believe in our heads, okay? Not just know that Jesus is the son of God. The Bible tells us that even the demons believe and shudder. Even the demons know. That Jesus is the son of God. That doesn't mean they're going to be saved. What it means is that we have to put our faith in him. We have to start a relationship with him. Or he, he's, he's the one that's already done everything necessary for this to occur. He pursued us first. He sent his son for us first. He's the one that paid the price. He's the one that fixed the relationship if we desire for it to be fixed. If we will just follow him. If we will put our faith in him. He's already done everything necessary. So the question for us this morning is. Have we done that? And I didn't even get to the New Testament. Except for what Jesus. Uh, we, we, we just got through the Gospels. Okay, Jesus ascended. And he sent his Holy Spirit. And his Holy Spirit dwells in us. And he started the church. Through the disciples. Through the apostles. And, and we have all these letters in the New Testament. And all of these things are Rich. All of these things are full of life. And we need to know the difference between these things. We, we can't read a psalm the same way we would read a letter. We can't read a law and think, what did Moses mean by this? No, the law is what it is. It's the law. It wasn't affected by culture. And But we're not held to the law anymore because we're in a different time. We're in a different testament. Jesus has, has fulfilled the Old Testament law. And so there are all these things about Scripture, and it's so powerful, and it's so true. And next week, there's going to be the last part of this, is we're going to actually look at a few passages, because the temptation is, is for us to just find a passage by itself. I just opened my Bible to a random uh, Luke chapter 2, and when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, oh, that's in the New Testament? Well, then that must still be, we, we probably still need to follow the law then since it's in the New Testament. Of course, that's wrong. Don't take that away from the sermon. But what I'm saying is, is we try to open the Bible and we try to just read what it is without knowing the context of the whole thing. And there's so much to Scripture. And anybody can read it and understand it. A, a child can understand Scripture. It's just that as we grow and as we mature, we, we begin to understand more and more and more. And we have to be careful about this. Because when we come to the Scriptures, we can come to it with this attitude like we already know it. Like we've already got it figured out. And the truth is, is that if we already have it figured out, then we're going to come to the Scripture and we're going to make this Scripture agree with whatever we already have figured out. We have to come to the Scripture with humility. We have to come to the Scripture knowing that we... Are limited beings, and we need God to help us to understand this. And maybe something that you believe right now is not right. It's not accurate. You know how I know this? Because all the time I'm reading stuff, and I'm and, and God is changing my mind about truth. Not His truth doesn't change, by the way. It's it's what I perceive as truth that changes. And so we have to be humble. We have to come to this and understand that this is not just something that we can recklessly open and make it mean what we want it to mean it has meaning given by god and it's all connected from beginning to end and we can apply it today but the way that something might be applied today in the new testament in mansfield arkansas in a democracy might be different than it was applied in egypt in the old testament in as this thing written about slaves in that specific specific moment. And so we have to be humble and realize that maybe we don't understand it all. Because what, what good does continuing to study the Scripture do if we've already got it all down, if we already know it all? We don't know it all. We don't have it all down. God can continue to perfect us As we read this. As we study. And not just read and study. Because you can read and study and know all of scripture. And not do it. We have to do it. And here's what I've learned. It is fairly simple for me. After being around someone for a short amount of time. To know how much scripture they apply in their lives. Because if they lack humility... I know they're not trying to do this. Because this is hard. Being like Jesus is hard. And it's very easy for me to judge people when I know all the right things, but I'm not trying to do all the right things. But when I'm trying to obey this, when I'm trying to do this, there's no room for pride. Because... I realize I can't do it. So here's our conclusion. What what, what does this mean? Why are we doing a survey of the Bible? Why are we looking at all this and how God worked throughout Scripture? And the reason that we're doing it is, is because I want you to realize that when I'm preaching a sermon, if that sermon doesn't agree with the rest of this, then I'm not preaching truth. And if I'm preaching a sermon... That doesn't agree with with what you think. But it agrees with this. Then you need to change the way you think. To align with what God's word says. And I'm preaching this. Because I want us to realize. That God has a plan. And when we can't see it in the moment. Like that song that was sung earlier. When we can't see it in the moment. We still have to cling to him. We still have to trust him. And realize that he is working it all out. And when we have difficult questions like, why does God allow evil in the world? And why is he allowed evil in my life? And we can't see the reasons. We have to trust. He's been working it together for good for a long time, throughout the ages. Surely he is still working it together now. Surely he didn't stop working things together when this book was completed. Surely he is still in it. And we know that that's true. Colossians 1 says that the universe is still upheld by the word of Christ. That he he, Not only was he creator, but he is continuing with his creation. He is continuing to be involved. We know he loves us and we know he wants to be involved because he sent his son to come into the midst of this creation. Who are we? You know, if a human being created things and to keep that creation going, it costs the son, uh, our, our, our only son, that they would be in trouble because we wouldn't be making that sacrifice. But God had a plan from the beginning, and he loves us. And so what's application? Application is start reading your Bible, but don't just read the verses that mean something to you. And, don't, and a lot of times, as we'll see next week, when we do read verses like that, when we're not paying attention to the context of the paragraph or the letter or book or whatever that we're in, and we're not paying attention to the context of the whole Bible, we can mean the we can make the bible mean all kinds of things that it doesn't mean. And that's a reality in the world we live in today as you look around us and see a different name church, Baptist, Southern Baptist, Missionary Baptist, Free Will Baptist, Nazarene, Pentecostal, Assembly of God, Church of Christ. What are we all right? So how do we how do we figure out how to what's right and how we should live? Well, we all admit we're all, all of us are wrong about something and we go to this and we let this figure it out. So where are you in your life? We're going to have a time of invitation and during this invitation, maybe there was something that was said about God's plan that, that just spoke to you. Maybe there was something in the history that you were thinking about that I didn't even mention this morning that God used to speak to you. Maybe you see how God has a plan and he's been working all this together And part of his plan is to have a relationship with you and you don't have that yet. If you want to have a relationship with God, if you want to repent of your sins, to turn away from your sins and to ask him to save you, you can do that this morning. Or maybe you're in here and you're thinking, man, I don't have the answers, but I sure want to be a part of a church family who will help me find them. We can be that church. We're going to try our best to be that church. And so if you want to join our church, then let us know. We're, we finished a new beginner's class recently. We're going to have a new one coming on in the near future. And so let us know if that's something that you want to do. But however God is, is speaking to you and challenging you this morning and responding that way, uh, we're going to pray and then we'll have our time of invitation.